Lord, thank you for the time that we spent with you. Lord, we just thank you for your blessings on our lives, for our special days, your love that shows us. Thank you, team. Thank you, Bailey. Yeah. Oh, good morning, everyone. It's a beautiful morning. Um, I was going to tell you the story about how my morning went, but it's too complex. <laughs> it really is. So I'll tell you a quick story. So because we got in so late last night and because I was, um, I figured, okay, we're going to be gone Thursday night, Friday, and Saturday and come home Saturday evening. There was a whole bunch of people back at Granddad at camp. And um, they got they had me so busy Friday and Saturday pulling tubes around and flipping them off and doing the whole thing, you know, that I, I tried to pick out little bits and pieces. I have a little bit of an echo up here. Pick out little bits and pieces um, of time where I could finish my message. And it didn't happen like I wanted it to. And so when we got home late last night, not real late, but um, last night, I sat down with my laptop and I fell asleep. And then Christina woke me up about 10 or 11 or something. I don't know what time it she goes, you shouldn't go to sleep with your laptop in your lap. And I was thinking, I didn't mean to go to sleep with my laptop in my lap. And uh, my message was not even close to being done. And so um, I, set, I said, well, okay, I'm going to set my alarm for 3 o'clock. Now get up at 3, and I'll finish my message, I hope. So I get up at 3 o'clock, and I turn my laptop on. And it decides it wants to update for the past 20 years. And it kept the death circle kept going and going. So that was at three, and I and all my notes and everything is on my laptop. Everything is. It's just not in order. There's no other access to anything. And that circle just kept going round and round for an hour and 45 minutes. And finally, it turns on, and I sat down and did it. And it was like, well, thank you, God, because when you know I can't call in sick like Christina did, you know. <laughs> And she really is sick, but um, I can't do that because then that would throw that on someone else who's not prepared. So anyway, it's been an experience and it was fun. And um, I, I do got to say that I prayed an awful lot. God, give me grace for this. God, empower me. God, it's got to be you because it's not me because I'm drawing a blank right now. Um Everyone that's not from here, welcome to Orphan Community Church. I am not the pastor by any means. I'm just filling in once in a while. And um, I think as far as um, 
announcements. Um, we know that uh, Greta and James aren't here because Greta's still recovering and doing well. I haven't heard in the last few days, but um, is she doing good, Gail? Okay, okay. James is just making sure he's there to take care of her. She had knee surgery. And then um, Scott's not here, and Bonnie had knee surgery a few days ago. Yep, and Jerry went flying off to Moses Lake. My wife is sick. Elisa's camping somewhere. Elisa, yeah. And Elisa's camping somewhere. And, um, oh, it was really fun because we had um, Olivia with us. Oh, how is... You what? Okay, okay, okay. Good check on her. Now, see, that's wonderful. Everybody gets checked. You don't have to check on Christina. She's, the bed's here, and the bathroom's right there. Back to boys. I need not say anymore. And I'm not going to. Um, besides that, I'm trying to. Um, besides that, um, basically things are in the bulletin. Um, is there anything else? Anything? Any other announcement of any kind? Anything? Zero. BBS starts today. Tonight, okay. Is it going to be look like there's going to be a lot of people there? Good. Do they have plenty of help? Okay. Down at the park. Okay. Okay. City park. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Ken, if Ken's not doing anything, he'll help. I thought I heard him say that. So um, this morning, like I said, it was kind of interesting. Um, yesterday morning, we were still up there at camp, and well, it was one of those times where you get up really early, like I do every morning, anyway. But at five thirty, okay. So I wrote this. I wrote this. I got. I got to share this with you. Spirit date instead of star date. Spirit date. July 30th, 2022, at 5.23 a.m. I'm sitting at a picnic table overlooking Dorshack Reservoir, which is at the confluence of the North Fork and the Little North Fork, where it comes together. So my view was beautiful, and I thought, well, if, if something's going to like influence me, it's going to be the water and the lake and, and everything. And um, I realized a message about grace is like a message about faith. Okay, it can be so misunderstood, it can be so misinterpreted. Okay, it can be. So what I had to deliver to you this morning gets changed dramatically, like it always does, and sometimes it's not till Sunday morning, but it gets changed dramatically, and I'm leaning on the Holy Spirit more than ever. Okay. This is gonna be a short message, and but I didn't want it to be any of my works other than the obedience of faith. In God that is speaking, right? And and I got interrupted many times, even at 5.36 in the morning, you know, where my grandson, I could hear him, he got up and he runs all the way across and he comes over. And I, and in those times when you're trying to get something done, but you got to stop and you got to watch them. And, and you got to, and you just, you got to realize that there's a message in children. There's a message in everything. And so I'm concentrating. I didn't get anything out of it except he had a snotty nose and I had to wipe it and stuff like that. 
But but there's a message in children, and you got to pay attention. There's a message in the beauty of one, even though it's on like one tributary coming into another, make it a confluence, and the trees and the eagles that are flying. I mean, there's 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 a beauty around you, and there's got to be a message in it. But I just wasn't getting anything. I don't know why. I was trying to pay attention. Um, so I was literally, this is what I was doing. I literally had been praying like for days without ceasing that only by the grace of God would I speak and walk through a very small message on grace compared to the vastness of who God is. Okay, that's, that's you're weighing this. You're, you're, you're going, okay, who am I compared to who he is? And, and I think we're going to kind of resolve that in a little while. So let's start by going to Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And if you can stand, that'd be great. It's very short. And I am reading out of um, the New King James. And just think about this. As we read, as we read verses 1 through 5, I'll be covering all the verses, but I'll be focusing on verse 5. Romans 1, 1 through 5. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before, before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Through him... We have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Amen. You should be seated. Now she's going to leave these verses up here because this is what we're going to be covering. Jumping back and forth. In verse 5, I'm going to mainly focus on three phrases that we see. Grace and apostleship, obedience to the faith, and for his name. So we'll do this under a threefold heading. The nature of grace as the free and undeserved enabling for ministry. The effect of grace, namely the obedience of faith in people. And the ultimate goal of grace, which is the glorifying of the name of Christ among all the people. This verse, verse 5, is Romans. The theology of Paul is written deeply in this small verse. So my prayer this morning is that we will catch an understanding of what grace is. And to my understanding, 155 times this word, grace, is used in the New Testament. 100 of them in the writings of Paul, and about one-fourth of them in the book of Romans, and actually I believe it's 24. As stated by one teacher, if you get grace, you get Romans. Now, that phrase that I heard this teacher say 15, 20 years ago is sparked me, and I never forgot that. I never forgot it. If you get grace, you get Romans. If you don't get grace, 
the book of Romans is going to be a closed book to you. It will be confusing and things will not make sense. So I lean toward that statement and I might add, it could be said of the entire word of God. In these few minutes this morning, I cannot, by any means, make the word of grace 100% plain to you. But this is an attempt to stick the key in the door, unlock it, and peer inside. Because you could go through the book of Romans and learn and learn and learn. But with grace and, then, and, and just a, a small understanding, it will grow, if that makes sense. It will grow. So, what comes to your mind when I say grace? What does it mean to you? What would be your definition of the word? And can we assume that the word grace is understood? I was thinking about the word grace as it pertains to a prayer before a meal. That's one of them. Let's say grace, right? When the family gets together and someone says, let's say grace. Is that putting the word in the correct context? It could be, actually. If grace is an undeserved kindness or favor, and you have nothing in which to feed your family, and suddenly Tamanaden shows up and drops a box of food off to you, and you recognize you have done nothing to deserve it, and you have not worked for it, you can thank God for his grace. And you can thank God for the grace in Tama's life. She's been empowered to know what to do, how to feed, how to take care of. So as we attempt to dig into this right now, what is the biblical reality of grace? Not just the public meanings we hear and use, like the ice skater is graceful, or when I, this is funny, or when I flipped and launched my daughter-in-law off the tube on the lake Friday. And we laugh after we find out she's okay. And we joke and say, that was graceful. And I think we got it on film, too. And it was graceful, by all means, okay? What is the biblical meaning? How does it bear on your life? Verse 5 of chapter 1 becomes a tremendous help here. As we look at Paul's reality of grace, not mine, we want to start back in verse 1. Paul starts by identifying himself as a servant, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, and then to be then to be called to be an apostle, and then set apart or separated for the gospel of God. And then he takes the next three verses, basically an interlude, before he picks up his apostleship again in verse 5. And in this three-verse interlude, which is an amazing study in itself. He fills up that phrase, gospel of God, at the end of verse 1, and he says it's a planned gospel, a gospel about the Son. It's the gospel about the coming of the Messiah, the Son of David, and it's about the risen, triumphant Son of God in power. The reason I believe that he's stuck in that unpacking of the gospel of God before he says anything else about grace and apostleship, is because grace is built on all of that. You can see this throughout the entire book of Romans. Grace is owing to the fact that a son of God came clothed in human flesh, the Messiah died, 
rose again for us. Okay, another way. He was triumphant over death, and now because of that, grace can come to sinners. So Paul does that. Then he comes to verse 5 and he says, Through him or through whom, depending on what translation you have, and that whom is referring right back to the end of verse 4. The Lord Jesus Christ. And through this Christ, through this risen one, who was the risen Son of God with power, and we see how that power connects with verse 5, and through him I receive or we receive grace and apostleship. He added these verses about the gospel and the Son so we would know that grace is not something that we could just presume upon. That grace is owing, owning, excuse me, owning to Jesus, not owing to us. Did you get that? Grace is owning to Jesus, not owing to us. We should end every one of our prayers, hopefully, in Jesus' name. Amen. Because the only reason we can expect to be graced as we say grace, or as you pray, is because of Jesus, not us. We don't deserve it, and that is why it's called grace. So what is it? Let's try to unpack some more of this. Paul begins saying, we receive grace and apostleship. And in my eyes, I can see the reason why those two words are put together here. And gives us the main meaning of grace in this verse. Which may be different in other verses if you went on in Romans. But the main meaning of grace in this verse is an undeserved power and enablement. Freely given to ministry. And in this case, the ministry of apostleship. So, Paul is saying, God graced me. He gave grace to me for my apostleship. He gave me not only the calling of apostle, but he empowers me for the calling. And that is what I believe he means by he gave me grace and apostleship. It goes together. I am basing this on what Paul says about the relation between grace and ministries in chapter 12 and 15 of Romans. For example, 12.6 Paul says, We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. And in 12.3, he says, Through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you. In other words, grace is God's enabling for various ministries through gifts he gives. And Paul's gift includes speaking as an apostle. As an, as an apostle, apostle. We also see this in chapter 15, 15 through 16. Paul says, Grace was given me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Okay, with that, we can conclude that when he says in one verse, chapter 1, verse 5 up here, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, he means that God not only saved him from his sin, but he also gave him grace to be an authoritative spokesman for the risen Son of God and in power. And how does that mean he gave it to him? Does it mean he gave it in response to good works? No, no, no. Paul said that he was set apart for the gospel before he was born. You can find that in Galatians 1.15 and Romans 1.1. 1, 1. 
grace is not God's response to our deserving or merited. Grace is God's free gift before we do anything good and is enabling of us to do anything good. For example, in Romans 4.4, Paul says, Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited according to grace, but according to debt. That's just my translation. In other words, grace is not what you get when you work for somebody. That's what he owes you. Grace is never owed. It's always a free bonus from the overflow of God's goodness. Therefore, grace is always received through faith, not earned by works. You can only receive grace as a gift and acknowledge that it comes to you freely. You can't look for it or earn it. In Romans 11.6, it states the principle, If it, election, is by grace... It is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Grace would not be grace if you earned it by your works. We receive it through faith by simply welcoming it as a gift and relying on it. That's why Romans 4, 6 says, For this reason it, being an heir of the promise, is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace. This is Paul's way of saying that grace is absolutely free and cannot be deserved or merited. When grace comes to you, it is through faith or not at all. My wife would like to hear that one if she's watching. Because we had this long discussion yesterday morning about 10 o'clock at the picnic table about grace and faith and figure that one out. Grace has its own power. You don't work it up. It is, in fact, Part of the power referred to in verse 4 where Paul says that Jesus was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Grace is not just forgiveness of our sin and mercy on our misery. It is also a divine power that comes to us through Jesus absolutely and freely for the sake of ministry. Paul says in Romans 5.21, As sin reigned in death, even so, grace reigns through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace is the power of a king. It reigns and leads mightily to eternal life through Christ. So grace is a power from God for ministry, like Paul's apostleship. It is free and cannot be earned or deserved. It is received as a gift by faith, not merited by works. That's it, rounding it up. So what's the effect of grace? So think about this for a moment. When Paul calls himself, in verse 1, a bondservant of Christ Jesus and an apostle, he means that he serves the risen Christ as an apostle. But now, Verse 5, we know something utterly crucial about that service. It is given and enabled by grace. He says in Romans 15, 18, I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. That's the power of grace, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles. Which is the same aim as Romans 1, 5, 
Paul serves Christ by the grace with which Christ serves Paul. Did I make that clear? Paul serves Christ by the grace with which Christ serves Paul. Grace is not God's response to our deserving or meriting. Grace is God's free gift before we do anything good. This is as important to you as it is to me. And if you don't get it, the book does not make sense. I linger over it because this is the essence of how God means for you to live your life. God wants you to read verse 5. And in the end, put your calling in the place of the word apostleship. Apostleship is Paul's. Not mine and not yours. You might put, through Christ I have received grace and a teaching role. Or, grace and the ability to sing or lead worship. Or, grace and studentship if you're younger. Grace and fatherhood. Grace and motherhood. Think about this. As I look around, I can identify many callings in here right now. And what this should mean to you is God has freely given me forgiveness and the power to do a calling and fulfill a role I accept by faith. So, there's been many times, I'm going to stop there for one second. There's been many times when somebody has come in and they're very eager, and that's good, they're very eager to serve in ministry. Yet, if you really look at them, they already have a ministry. Maybe they already have a family, right? And by God's grace, they are raising that family. They are serving in ministry. Or there's many other things. I mean, if you just started looking around, you could start picking out different things that you see people do, right? Okay, so for example, Ken, he does many things. Um, he does lawn care, tile work, rock work. Well, somewhere along the line, that is a ministry. It's got it's got to be. It's got to be. He's passionate about it. He does a good job at it, and he keeps at it. And and that's got to be a ministry to somebody. When 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 he goes in and he he takes this rubble of stuff and he turns it into a beautiful tiled shower and makes somebody happy. That's great. That's a grace in his life, to be able to do that. Because you can't be good at something. You can't, let me put it this way. You can't be really good at something or anything unless unless the grace of God is upon your life to do that. So even the simple things, even the little things that we think mean nothing, are very important to God. And by the grace of God, we can do it. I mean, we're able to do it and make people happy or speak into their life or... Or, 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 okay? There is not a role in life that can be lived the way God wants it lived apart from enabling grace. Being a godly mother or being an apostle is impossible without the power of grace. So when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.10 that all his apostolic labor is by grace, you just insert your own calling. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. The disciple, the, excuse me, the decisive 
enabling power for all ministry and all God's service is God's grace. Obedience of faith. Through whom the living Son of God risen in power we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. So grace is not just received by faith. It aims at faith. Here's where it switches again if you were paying attention. So grace is not just received by faith. It aims at faith. Aims at faith. God gives gifts of grace so that we will be his instruments in bringing about the obedience of faith. This is what is called the effect of grace. Now, what does the phrase obedient of faith mean? The two main choices are the obedience that comes from faith or the obedience which is faith. Because faith is what the gospel demands. You might say acts of courage. Acts of courage. Acts that come from courage. Okay, both of these goals, faith and obedience that comes from faith, are really Paul's goals in ministry. And it is very difficult to decide which he means to focus on right here. But if Paul only means faith, why use two words to say it? In other words, if Paul only means we receive grace and apostleship to bring about faith among the Gentiles, then why complicate matters and say the obedience of faith? I think the answer is that he really does want us to think not only of the obedience that faith is, but also the obedience of love that produces faith. 1 Timothy 1.5 We can see in chapter 6 that Paul cares a great deal about Christian obedience. And we can see in Romans 9.32 that obedience is by faith and not as though it were by works. And we can see in 14.23 that whatever is not from faith is In other words, in Paul's mind, all true obedience is the fruit of faith. But why? Why does all true obedience come from faith? I hope you can see the answer if you compare what I've said so far about grace and faith. God gives grace as the power and an enabling for service, which means that grace is the power and an enabling of obedience. So all true obedience is done in the power of grace, not our own power. But how do we receive and rely on grace? The answer is by faith. So you can see why all true obedience is the fruit of faith. It's the fruit of faith because God's grace is, is given to enable obedience. And faith is the way we rely on that grace. And so obedience is the fruit of that faith. So what we've seen so far is that God wants to be the giver in this relationship. God wants to be gracious. God wants to be the fountain and the source of our service and our obedience and our ministry. Whether apostleship or pastor or student or mother or any other calling. God intends to be the source of enabling, empowering, sustaining grace. Our job is to trust him and act in reliance on him. This is the essence of the Christian life. 
the true essence of the Christian life. And the final question is, why? Why does God set it up this way? With everything dependent on His grace through our faith. And the last phrase in Romans 1.5 gives the answer. Through Christ we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentile peoples for His name's sake. The ultimate goal of all of God's dealings is that His name, or the name of Christ, who is His image, would be known and admired and cherished and praised above all other realities. Romans 9.17 puts it like this. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, I have raised you up for the very purpose of showing my power in you, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. God's aim in history and all that happens is that his name be known in worship. Verse 5 says that the aim of Paul's apostleship is for the sake of the name. That the name of Jesus, which stands for his character, might be known and loved and treasured and exalted and glorified. God wants to be the fountain and the source of our service and our obedience and our ministry. Now this is why God makes all our salvation and all our ministry and all our obedience dependent on his grace. And why he makes all of our salvation and ministry and obedience the fruit of faith in grace. Ooh, that's a good one. I want to read that again because, because that I wrote it down and it just struck me again. And why he makes all of our salvation and ministry and obedience the fruit of faith and grace is what I've been doing for the last two weeks. Mostly the last three days. Faith in grace. That's the faith that God's going to come through, right? When you need him the most. Because you don't want to mess up. You don't want to you want you want to proclaim what God wants you to proclaim. You want to minister like God wants you to minister. You don't want to just do it on your own. When you start understanding what grace is, that's kind of the direction that you go. Because the giver gets the glory. We give God the glory. If our ministry and all of our obedience is by grace through faith, then God gets the glory and we get the help. And that's what I needed. If Paul relied on himself to serve as an apostle, and if the effect of his ministry was to bring about the obedience of works, not the obedience of faith among the Gentiles, then the name of Christ would not be praised. Paul would be. And the same goes for each one of us. The giver of the power, the enabler of the obedience, gets the glory all the time. Here's the way 1 Peter 4.11 puts it. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God, which, which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You see how clearly Peter makes the connection. God gets the glory for our service if God gives the grace for our service. And if we serve by faith in that grace, in the strength of that grace, and not our own. 
So the final question that people may often ask about this sort of biblical teaching is whether a God who aims at the exaltation of his own name is a loving God. The book of Romans gives two answers to that question. First, in Romans 10, 13, Paul says, Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So yes, it is a loving God, loving for God, to push his own name and his own glory. Because everyone who calls on that name will be saved. For him, not to spread and exalt his name as our only hope would be And the second answer is given in Romans 5, 2, where Paul says that while we stand in grace by faith, we exult in hope of the glory of God. In other words, the glory of God is our hope and our salvation and our exaltation, our joy. We don't just call on the name of the Lord to get something else. We call on the name of the Lord so that everything that separates us from the Lord will be overcome by the grace of God and we will have access to Lord himself. We exult in hope of the glory of God. Therefore, it is loving for God to make the name of God, that is the glory of God, the goal of all his grace, because this is the goal of all of our longing. Is this, is he the goal of your longing? If so, then the gospel of grace will make sense and you will embrace it. If not, Call upon the name of the Lord that he would open your eyes to see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, the image of God. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. I know that's just a small piece. A short message, a small piece. But even that small piece took me a long time to put together. Because once you start understanding more about what grace is. You have to dig deeper. You have to search more. It's part of who I am, and I hope it's part of who you are. If, if there was one prayer that I would have for all of you, that you would look at the book of Romans, and you would try to understand and get a picture, a clearer picture, Stu do a study on grace. And see if it doesn't change how you look at the book of Romans or even just look at the whole of the New Testament. Because it changes your life. It, 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 you put your dependency on God more so than ever in everything that you do. I would pray that you guys take that as good advice. Because it will change your life. We have the worship team come up. So this morning, Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your power. I thank you for your word. And in what this has taught me, open my eyes to. And I pray, Lord, that you open the eyes of everyone in hearing right now. 
that they would feel a hunger to study this more. They would desire to eat the words in front of them. They would want to know more of you and who you are. And in turn, they would glorify you. Change, change the hearts of all those sitting here. Change the hearts. Cause them to hunger more and more and more. Father, we just bless you this morning. Again, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you for our lives. In Jesus' name.